Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that strives to know at least a little bit more about history every day. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at the life and times of Thurgood Marshall, including the pivotal role he played in the civil rights movement and his landmark appointment as the first black member of the U.S. Supreme Court. The day was June 13th. 1967. President Lyndon B. Johnson nominated Judge Thurgood Marshall to serve on the Supreme Court of the United States. Marshall was well qualified for the role, having served as both a judge in the U.S. Court of Appeals and as the country's Solicitor General, where he argued cases in front of the Supreme Court on behalf of the federal government. Despite this impressive resume and his well-attested character, Marshall's appointment led to heated debate in Congress. The backlash proved to be a bump in the road, though, as Marshall's appointment was eventually confirmed, making him the first African-American in history to sit on the Supreme Court. Thoroughgood Marshall, he later shortened his name to Thurgood, was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, at the turn of the 20th century. His mother, Norma Arika Williams, was a schoolteacher and his father, William Canfield Marshall, worked as a dining car waiter on a railroad, and then later as the chief steward at a fancy country club. The Marshalls were by no means wealthy, but they lived a middle-class lifestyle, and that was notable in itself when you consider that Thurgood's great-grandfather had been an enslaved man. 
Thurgood was keenly aware of the social progress that had been made in just a generation or two, and he would later make it his life's mission to push that progress even further. Thurgood's interest in law stemmed from that of his father, William. He had always been interested in legal proceedings and how the court system worked, so much so that in his free time, he would go down to the local courthouse and listen to the civil and criminal trials. Sometimes, he brought his two sons along too, Thurgood and his older brother William. When they returned home, the three of them would lay out all the arguments they'd heard that day and then debate the outcomes around the dinner table. Those discussions happened on a weekly basis, sometimes multiple times a week, and in all that excitement, Thurgood became fascinated with law and with how to use words to confront injustice. Years later, in 1965, he talked about his father's early influence, saying, quote, He did it by teaching me to argue, by challenging my logic on every point, by making me prove every statement. He never told me to be a lawyer, but he turned me into one. Thurgood Marshall graduated from Lincoln University in 1930 with a bachelor's degree in American literature and philosophy. He then enrolled in law school at Howard University in Washington, D.C. At the time, the dean of the law school was a respected civil rights lawyer named Charles Houston. Houston was a notably strict professor, but Marshall responded well to his demanding teaching style. In fact, the two hit it off so well that Houston became a mentor to Marshall, and in 1936, they began working closely together in the legal division of the NAACP. Houston had resigned as dean a year earlier so that he could become the first legal counsel for the organization. By the time Thurgood joined the group, Houston had already become the director of the entire legal division. The two worked side by side on civil rights cases for the next few years. And then, when Houston retired from the role in 1940, Marshall took over as director, holding that top legal post at the NAACP throughout the 1940s and 50s. Marshall's work with the organization became the cornerstone of his whole career. As the group's chief counsel, he argued a record-setting 32 cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. And get this, out of those 32 civil rights cases, Marshall won 29. Even today, he remains near the top of the list for most cases ever argued and won before the Supreme Court. Among his many landmark victories, was 1954's Brown v. Board of Education, the case that brought down school segregation in America and helped launch the African-American civil rights movement of the next two decades. In 1961, Marshall left the NAACP after being appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals by President John F. Kennedy. During his time on the Court of Appeals, Marshall issued over 100 decisions on civil rights battles, as well as other hot-button issues like women's rights and police brutality. Amazingly, none of those 100-plus decisions were overturned by the Supreme Court. In 1965, President Lyndon Johnson appointed Marshall the first black solicitor general in U.S. history, and he had a similarly strong track record during his two years in that post as well. He argued 19 cases before the Supreme Court and won 14 of them. With a record like that, it wasn't long before President Johnson decided that Marshall deserved a seat on the highest court himself. However, there were a couple problems with this plan, and chief among them was that there wasn't a vacancy on the Supreme Court, 
at least not yet. Johnson reportedly engineered a vacancy himself by creating a conflict of interest for one of the sitting justices, a fellow Democrat named Tom Clark. Allegedly, President Johnson appointed Clark's son as attorney general in order to prompt his father to step down so that it wouldn't look like nepotism. It's up for debate whether this was done specifically to open a seat for Marshall, but he certainly was the one who filled it. Still, even with Johnson on his side, Marshall's appointment to the Supreme Court was anything but easy. His confirmation process was held over the course of a long week in the summer of 1967. During that time, Marshall endured more hours of questioning than any Supreme Court nominee before him. That was largely thanks to a handful of senators from southern states who really did their best to sink his nomination. For instance, the head of the committee for Marshall's nomination was Mississippi Senator James Eastland. He personally owned a plantation that employed more than 100 black sharecroppers, and in 1956, his daughter had been crowned Miss Confederacy. With him in charge, Marshall's appointment was hardly a sure thing. Eastland wasn't alone in his opposition either. Senator Strom Thurmond was also on the nomination committee, and his main contribution was to subject Marshall to a kind of Jim Crow-era literacy test. He cross-examined Marshall, quizzing him on obscure, absurdly specific portions of political history. For example, he was asked to name every member of the congressional committee that had reviewed the 14th Amendment in 1866. Marshall couldn't do that, but of course, there's no reason why a Supreme Court justice would need to rattle off random information like that anyway. It's also worth noting that a little later in the proceedings, Ted Kennedy asked Strom Thurmond if he could name the committee members from 1866, and guess what? He couldn't either. The Southern Senators drilled Marshall because of the color of his skin and because of what he represented not because they had any serious doubts about his legal knowledge or fitness to serve. In the end, the case against Marshall was so flimsy that the Judiciary Committee approved his nomination with a resounding 11-5 vote, and then the city confirmed him as well with an equally definitive vote of 69-11. to 11. After what had been an exhausting confirmation process, Thurgood Marshall was finally sworn in as a Justice of the Supreme Court, on October 2nd, 1967. The next few years went smoothly for Marshall, as he had joined a very liberal Supreme Court, one that aligned well with his own political views. However, that would change drastically over the course of the 1970s and 80s. In fact, during Marshall's 24 years on the court, Republican presidents made eight consecutive appointments, transforming the court and filling every spot on the bench except for Marshall's. That means that in the second half of his tenure, Marshall was in the minority and found his opinions increasingly overruled. As you might imagine, that wasn't an easy transition for someone whose entire career had been built on his knack for winning cases. As a result, Marshall became more and more isolated from the rest of the court, with his contributions mostly limited to strongly worded dissents about his colleagues' rulings. Still, Marshall never gave up. At one point, he even vowed to remain on the court until he was 110 years old. He gave it a valiant effort, but in the end, he became too ill to continue serving and had to step down in 1991. Two years later, 
he passed away at the age of 84. Thurgood Marshall had been somewhat hindered after finally making it to the Supreme Court, but his presence on the bench still had a profound impact on the country and on the issues he spent his whole life fighting for. Even if you don't have a personal connection to Marshall's service, or if you don't share all of his political views, there's still so much to admire about his legacy, his commitment to changing the system from within, and to being a voice for the voiceless, are ideals that should resonate with all of us, regardless of race or party preference. As Marshall once said, where you see wrong or inequality or injustice, speak out, because this is your country. This is your democracy. Make it, protect it, pass it on. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Special thanks to guest producers Joey Pat and Casey Pegram, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision, enhanced hearing, extraordinary reflexes, to be, dare we say, superhuman? Well, Roku's new Pro Series TV can't do any of that for you. But with a 4K screen, side-firing speakers, and a blazing fast refresh rate, it'll sure feel like it. Elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iHeart and play all your music, radio, and podcasts with the new Roku Pro Series. Your senses aren't better. Your TV is. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Mosley, and I want to let you know about my new immersive BBC Radio 4 podcast series, Deep Calm. It's all about how to tap into and activate a remarkable system that we all have, hardwired inside of us, our relaxation response. And it's been developed to be listened to at any time you want to really unwind. I hope you'll listen wherever you get your BBC podcast. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.